This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, O Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. How did we get here? That's what you're going to be asking, or more specifically, since you're listening to a political podcast, asked in the fall of 2024. You're going to witness ugly campaigns with imperfect to awful candidates. And at some point, someone in your friends and family circle will ask you, is this the best they could find? What you will tell them is that the way we got here was a year-plus-long process where candidates emerged, found money and power to get behind them, and then vanquished their enemies in a primary. You can tell them that you were watching it the entire way. None of this surprises you because you were on all of it back in April of 2023. Because today... As I speak to you, is the beginning of 2024. We used to call this time in politics as the silent primary, when dozens of hopefuls would quietly flit about Washington, D.C., bowing, scraping, and curtsying to see who might be their fiscal or electoral champions. But in our modern media landscape, nothing stays silent, least of all in politics. And there's so much information about stuff like this that even barking dogs on the internet, like your boy, can play color commentary. And we focus today on the Republican side of things. A three-way power battle to secure GOP control in the Senate. And it truly matters. The Republicans have a very favorable map in the Senate. And if they underperform it this time in 2024, like they did last time in 2022 with goofball candidates, well, it might be a wrap for a while. Will bloody primaries in Ohio, West Virginia, and Montana be enough to set back a once in a decade chance to take the Senate? At the top of the ticket, we have the most consequential primary decision of all. Will Ron DeSantis run, or will he give a clean path to Trump for the nomination? One of our favorite voices on the show, Bill Scher of Washington Monthly, says that for DeSantis, discretion might be the better part of valor. He could be a stone-cold loser this cycle, and it's best that he save his powder. I think the DeSantis analysis is it's a Trumpist party. And so he can win by being Trump-like, but better than Trump. And again, to say, I think the last six weeks is, is a huge demerit on that being accurate. So if the question a year and a half from now is how do we get here, then the answer in the present is by listening to this program. For Dog and Pony Show Audio, this is Politics, Politics, Politics. I'm Justin Robert Young. In the United States Senate, the sitting Democratic senators of West Virginia, Montana, and Ohio are as follows. Joe Manchin of West Virginia, John Tester of Montana, and Sherrod Brown of Ohio. Today, we don't need to talk about them. Other than to say that they've got uphill climbs to retain their seats in a high turnout presidential year. We are instead going to focus on the Republican side of this. And in our silent primary, who is pushing whom? In West Virginia, the Club for Growth, which we've talked about in the past, usually in its relation to combating Donald Trump in primaries. They went head-to-head in several different matchups in 2022. They tended to lose those matchups. They teamed up with Donald Trump in a few other races. 
Also, if you go further back in the past, they actively opposed Donald Trump personally before supporting him. But the club announced that in the 2024 primary, they will spend at least $10 million to boost Republican representative Alex Mooney in West Virginia. This as Mitch McConnell's recruiters are on the very cusp of convincing wealthy and popular governor Jim Justice to run against Joe Manchin. In Montana, Club for Growth is nudging Republican Representative Matt Rosendale, who lost to John Tester in 2018, tisk tisk, to make another go, while McConnell has been heavily recruiting Tom Sheehy, a Navy SEAL and wealthy business person, but somebody without a political track record. And in Ohio, Club for Growth is beseeching Republican Representative Warren Davidson to take on Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown. While there is already a semi-Trump endorsed, Trump encouraged, is that a good way to say it? Candidate already announced to run in that race. We will begin with West Virginia. Jim Justice might scare Joe Manchin from this race. All right, so let's put that there. Jim Justice is popular nationally. He is a Republican. He, if, if Joe Manchin can win that state, then Jim Justice can almost assuredly win that state. And I think that Joe Manchin would, would be looking at this with maybe an eye to the exit if Justice is the guy. And he very much is the guy that Mitch McConnell wants to run. In fact, if you were to hit Mitch McConnell with some sodium pentothal, true serum, and you said, who would you like to run for the Republicans in West Virginia? I believe he would have two people on the list. One of them is Jim Justice, and the other is Joe Manchin running as a Republican. So, why on earth would the Club for Growth want to run Alex Mooney? Well, here's something that will be consistent in all three of these races. The Freedom Caucus. The Freedom Caucus is in ascendancy. We saw them flex their muscle with the Kevin McCarthy Speaker selection, we're going to hear more from that a little bit later. They are very much running the show in this debt ceiling fight. And so Club for Growth is going to back their boys, the ones that have stood up and become more national figures. They believe that if this low tax, high noise formula is ever going to win, it's going to win right now. And if it's going to win right now, it needs to be in the Senate. Meanwhile, Mitch McConnell is looking at this map and saying, nope, 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 nope. Enough of all of this Trumpian, let's pick somebody that was on television stuff. Enough with this, let's pick the ideologically pure uh, the person that's going to do everything we exactly want to do fiscally. How about we do this, says Mitch McConnell, exasperated. Why don't we win elections, huh? Why don't we get more Republican votes in the Senate? Here's a crazy idea. We should have done that last time. We didn't. We fumbled the bag on winnable races. And now you're going to do it again? By running the Freedom Caucus, which look, congratulations, you were able to flex your muscles when it came to the the, the speaker fight, but you're not going to do it in electoral politics. And you can have no bigger reason for the fact that this might be a failed plan than us moving down to Montana. Because Representative Rosendale is someone who already lost to John Tester in 2018. In fact, that wasn't super close, despite the fact that Montana is a Trump plus 20 state in 2016. uh, Rosendale lost 46.8% to 50.3. Like, Joe Manchin won by less than that. Montana didn't like Rosendale and his accent. Now, he is good at getting attention. Here is an early congressional ad by Rosendale, wherein he shoots a drone out of the sky. 
This is how I'd look from a government drone. And this is what I think about it. And here he is during that speaker fight where while everybody was just kind of waiting for whatever negotiation was going to happen to happen between the Freedom Caucus and Kevin McCarthy's team, Rosendale decided to troll. Just listen to how long the groans go on after he makes his joke. This is as they are reading a roll call of who is going to vote for who. If you remember this, there were a few Freedom Caucus people that were hard nose. And so whenever their names came up, everybody kind of listened with bated breath. Here's what Rosendale did. Rose. McCarthy. Rosendale. Hearn. Ross Jeffries. So he's a meme machine, but he's also the most recent loser. Now, the one thing that you would say to the Mitch McConnell side is that what they would like to do in Montana is run somebody that has no political experience. So exactly the kind of candidates that Donald Trump was pushing. But then again, not all neophytes are alike. And Mitch McConnell's team believes that Tim Sheehy, a businessman and Navy SEAL, would be something that is a little bit more up Montana's alley than, let's say, Dr. Oz or, you know, the police dog from Paw Patrol, whoever Donald Trump would want to run in a seat, in a seat like that. Now, let's swing over to Ohio. This one's a little bit more wide open. Warren Davidson, guess what? He's another Freedom Caucus warrior. He has yet to declare, but the Club for Growth says that they want him to run. Meanwhile, the fight in Ohio is going to not be with Mitch McConnell, but be with Donald Trump. Sound familiar? Happened a few years ago. Trump has hinted at an endorsement to Bernie Moreno, a car dealership owner whose son-in-law is MAGA-friendly representative Max Miller. Now, Trump told Moreno to stand down during the primary last year. Eventually, Trump endorsed J.D. Vance. This was enough to defeat the Club for Growth candidate, Josh Mandel. You guys might remember this was one of the uh, <laughs> this was one of the primaries that actually was was in our favor last year because we actually got uh, sound from everybody. But. Will the club go against Trump again? Will it be worth it to them? Because at a certain point, aside from just saying the Freedom Caucus is our roster and we are going to put everything we can to get one of them, if not all three, to the Senate, at a certain point, they're going to have to back either Trump or McConnell, because right now there is no consensus between Trump and McConnell, except for the fact that the club for growth is dumb and they're wasting money. After the break, we stay in the primaries, but go all the way up the ticket to the biggest question that you could possibly ask at this stage of the GOP primary amidst a gigantic slate of legislative brouhaha in Florida, a book release, and declining poll position. Is it time for Ron DeSantis to admit that he's simply not going to be president, pack it in, and wait for 28? That's happening after the break. This is your news update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. If you would like an ad-free feed of this program, you can head on over 
to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And for only a dollar a week, you can get that. Meanwhile, if you want two bonus episodes each and every week, especially now that we are in the season, you can do that for $3 a week. Less than, you know, a very fancy cup of coffee. But to your update, the House Republicans are considering a repeal of the Inflation Reduction Act as part of their debt limit package. A lot of this is fluid right now, but it is expected that the Kevin McCarthy package for which he had already announced is probably going to move to the right if it is going to pass the House of Representatives. And and remember, McCarthy only has a five-vote cushion. So it's got to be something that the Freedom Caucus agrees with. And one of the things that seems to be on the table is a repeal of the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, Kevin McCarthy is not Italian, but he is throwing a lot of spaghetti against the wall to see exactly what sticks. And ultimately, his only real play here is to pass a totally inappropriate bill out of the House into the Senate's hands. And at that point, when it's in the Senate's hands, then they're going to have a negotiation between the White House, the Senate, and the first draft of what McCarthy put out. So just to keep you up to date on the score right now, the Biden administration has put stuff out. McCarthy's going to put stuff out. McConnell, by the way, backed McCarthy and said that this has to be a negotiation and the White House has to talk to McCarthy at some point. So this is effectively a kick in the butt to start it. That being said, it will be very curious what the pernicious Freedom Caucus believes is the price to move this process forward. Here's one Republican House representative that will be running for re-election again. George Santos. Oh, yeah. Uh... (laughs) Democrats rejoice. George Santos is on the ballot. Will he win his primary? Who knows? But in the meanwhile, he has been burnishing his resume by offering the Minaj Act. Named for Nicki Minaj, rapper and influencer who one time said that a COVID vaccine had enlarged her cousin's testicles to the point where his wedding had to get called off. The Minaj Act will mandate a longer testing period for all vaccines so they are found to be safer amongst the community. So one thing about me is I'm named for George Santos's Vaccine Act. And we have a blockade, ladies and gentlemen. Mitch McConnell and the Republicans will not offer votes to the Democratic side of the Senate to replace Dianne Feinstein on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Let's rewind this for a second. Dianne Feinstein is recovering from shingles in California. She has members of her own party calling for her to resign. In response, Feinstein tried to split the baby a little bit and said, hey, replace me on judiciary so you guys can continue to approve judges But I'm not resigning. I'm going to work through my final term. I just need more time to recover from shingles. So Chuck Schumer says, "Okay, we're going to do it. You want to know what? There's actually precedent for this. Sometimes when senators want to run for president and that means that they're not going to be on their committees as often, you can replace them temporarily. Happened to Bob Dole. But here's the problem. Mitch McConnell says... You know, when I look at your docket of judges that you would like to confirm, I see a lot of them that could get Republican votes. So why am I going to give you our permission to restack your committee so you can pass the worst, the most left of the judges you have to approve? And so a stalemate. That being said, is this all that bad for the Democrats? Or is this maybe a little bit of I scratch your back, you scratch mine? 
because yes, it looks like recalcitrant conservative politics, and it certainly is. But do you think Schumer really wants to do the hokey pokey with Dianne Feinstein on that committee? Because remember, the leaks about how frail Dianne Feinstein has been over the last few years have often come out of Schumer's office. So maybe this just puts more pressure on the venerable Senate legend to just, you know, call it quits. Let Governor Gavin Newsom send in the replacements. And that is your news update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Head on over there right now. Support this very show. You know we love it. Love to do these two bonus shows for you. On Monday morning, start your week off right. And on Thursday, we have all the latest news. That's it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Donald Trump is being attacked by a Democrat prosecutor in New York. So why is he spending millions attacking the Republican governor of Florida? Trump's stealing pages from the Biden-Pelosi playbook, repeating lies about Social Security. Here's the truth from Governor Ron DeSantis. You know, we're not going to mess with Social Security as Republicans. What did Trump say? Entitlements ever be on your plane? At some point, they will be. We will take a look at that. Trump should fight Democrats, not lie about Governor DeSantis. What happened to Donald Trump? Never Back Down Inc. is responsible for the contents of this ad. That is an ad from Never Back Down, a political action committee in support of Ron DeSantis. And let me just tell you, I don't like it. I'm more bullish on Ron DeSantis than many, but if you are calling for civility from Donald Trump, if you are not leading your advertisement with what's wrong with this dude, I don't know if you've got the fire in the belly to run against him. Or at the very least, you are saving your powder until you go absolute guns blazing after you announce that you are running for president. But should he? There's one column that says maybe not. It is from one of our favorite voices on this very show. The one and only Bill Share. Great to be back as always. Let's talk... The Republican primary. Before we get into the meat of the column that you wrote on the Washington Monthly, let me just ask you this. Do you believe that despite the fact that only one of them has announced for president and you are uh, asking for the or suggesting that the other one shouldn't announce at all? Do you believe that the GOP primary is a two horse race? Is a two-horse race right now between Trump and and DeSantis? Yes. Is there anybody else in the field that you could see rising up to to even DeSantis's level of prominence? I mean, maybe Tim Scott, but I got to see a lot more leg than what I've seen. I mean, the thing the Tim Scott play is that Trump and DeSantis beat the hell out of each other. And it, essentially, it's a murder-suicide. And Tim Scott plays the nice guy card up the middle. And I think that has a extremely low odds of that succeeding. Because I don't, I, I'm, I'm not convinced at this point that Trump and DeSantis can ruin each other. I think one person would survive, uh, survive that. Um, but that's the, the only way someone not Trump or DeSantis makes it. Is 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 if the Republican electorate sours on the two of them? Yeah, uh, and the initial and this leads back into my column. We've had a a test run of the last six or so weeks, beginning from the point of DeSantis's book launch, and perhaps ending with the Trump indictment, and that suggests that Trump. Is going to win, no matter that what. Clash, not I wouldn't say no matter what, but you're saying it's a hundred percent Bill Share lead pipe lock <laughs> that Trump is the nominee. I'm saying that the game plan that DeSantis has, which is I'm a more competent version of Trump. 
Yes. I'm Trump without the baggage. Look at my wonderful record in Florida. Look at look at the backstory uh, that I have, that where I, I have some affinity with uh, the earthy people of Ohio and Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm all the things that you love about Trump without all the uh, Cocoa Puffs nonsense. Obviously, he's not going to use those that kind of language. No. Great, um, ta- great taste, less filling. That is <laughs> right. that is that is the that is the pitch. And what we've seen is that is that is not enticing to the middle of the road, the, the median Republican voter, because the uh, okay. Trump DeSantis margin has increased over the six week period. And, and you might say, well, he got indicted. Like, that's kind of the point. An indictment was better than DeSantis's book launch. Well, OK, all right. before, before I, 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 want, I want to hold off on DeSantis for two seconds here and just okay. and just and just okay. talk about the, the, the rest of the field there. So Tim Scott of the of the also rans or also will probably runs. Uh, uh, Tim Scott is the one that you could see if this turns into 2008 and and it's Mitt Romney, Newt Gingrich that are beating the living hell out of each other. And there's a. a a, a, a Scott Perry cameo at some point that Rick he's that, that, that Tim Scott could be Rick Perry. Sorry that, that uh, uh, Tim Scott could be the John McCain that picks up the pieces uh, uh, toward the end in a, in a longer fight. Well, but even that example, you know, McCain was a weak, but de facto front runner uh, in that race because he was the number two in 2000. So he, he had an eight year period where he was, the most recognizable Republican nationally. He wasn't coming out of nowhere. Tim Scott starting at you know literally zero to one yes. percent. Uh, and we don't have we don't have a lot of examples. I, I, I can't give any example of a Republican presidential candidate starting that low. Yeah, sort of absolute nowhere and catapulting into the top slot. Uh, the history of the Republican primary. Is uh, remember this only really starts in 1976, and that's when Reagan runs against Gerald Ford. You know, before then, primaries weren't the yeah. thing that really determined who the nominee was. And Reagan wasn't uh, coming out of nowhere; he had a conservative movement reputation, and he took it pretty far in '76. Uh, and then that made him well positioned for 1980. After 1980, it's the vice president, George H.W. Bush, he's not starting from zero. He ha- he's got a tangle with you know Bob Dole to get there, but he gets there. Uh, and then in 1996, Bob Dole, Senate Majority Leader, gave a good run in 1988. He wasn't starting from nowhere either. 2000, George W. Bush, namesake, not starting from zero. McCain gives him a good run. Mm-hmm. So McCain's position for 2008. Mitt Romney gives McCain a good run in 2008. He's positioned before runner in 2012. Uh, what changes the game is Donald Trump in 2016, but he's not coming from zero. He's coming from not being in politics. Yes. But when he jumps in, he's the front runner right away. Yeah. He, he almost goes wire to wire uh, in the polls in that race. Uh, so in the, so the entire history of the Republican primary, yeah, no one's ever gone from zero to the promised land, and so the only way that potentially could happen is if the two front runners prove so weak that they collapse. Uh, but we, but number one, if it's if it's going to be not Trump, someone's got to take him out. It's yeah. not going to happen organically. Yeah, and this goes back to my DeSantis point, just sort of jabbing at him. Like that's that's not how you take out a bully, and he's a bully, uh, and he's a bully with with an army behind him. So you really it's it's got to be scorched earth. And then the question is, if DeSantis does that, does he get the nomination himself, or do they both you know die in the fire and a third person can get in there? That's the unknown here. I agree. I agree with your premise, uh, and with that premise, I would say that that you know I think the the two more likely. Uh, uh, you know, orphans, Oliver twists with their, with their hands out waiting for the spoils. If both of these two decide to destroy each other, at least in the eyes of the voters would be Nikki Haley or Mike Pence. 
in that they are at least not polling in the Connor Roy from succession uh, one to two, two percent. They are at least in the, you know, mid to high single digits, which is not where you want to be historically at all ever. But at least they are not at one percent. I should give I, I, I should give Pence like at least non zero odds. Yeah. Uh, only because I, as I've all I've always said VPs are very strong in primaries. Yeah, every VP that has decided to run in the modern primary era has gotten the nomination, with the one exception of Dan Quayle. Yeah, and Dan Quayle one was a particularly unpopular VP. Plus, he's running against the namesake of the president that he served under, so that obviously compl- complicated the normal succession of things where you are seen as the titular leader of the party. Yeah. Um, uh, and of course, in this case, Pence, assuming he runs, is, is running against literally the actual person he served under. That, that, that obviously complicates the historical pattern. But uh, again, in the scenario that somehow Trump and DeSantis ruin each other, uh, Pence is a national figure, is seen as prepared for the job, does represent a faction of the party, the old school Reaganite Christian conservative, super duper pro-life wing of the party. Uh, obviously, he's greatly damaged in the eyes of the Trump loyalists because January 6th. And that's why I wouldn't say he's got I'm not saying he's got the inside track. I'm not saying he's got the full position. No, nope. I'm saying if Trump and DeSantis collapsed, he could be a guy who could pick up the pieces. I would agree with you. I think that he it, it's going to be a very interesting campaign. I think the last time we talked, I was I was defending the position that this was not a late blooming campaign field. I am now in the position that people like Mike Pence should be in the race by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't see the advantage of him dragging things out further unless he desperately wants to have the last word after a DeSantis launch. But I think at that point, this is going to be the 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 microscope is going to get very 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 tight between two people, and I don't think that Pence will have much of a chance to make his argument. But I do believe that his argument is basically what Brian Kemp was out on the Sunday shows talking about this week that, that, you know, don't, Hey, suburb suburbs that uh, uh, tilted the election in 2020. Don't you kind of want just a boring, competent person to be your Republican president? Let's go back to when we were the state statesman. Uh, uh, you know, you, you have your firebrand speeches here and again. But but that's that's what Mike Pence wants to be in the same way that Brian Kemp was in, in Georgia. Well, then th- this is the deeper question. This is why I think this discussion is not just hacky horse race punditry. That's it's fun, entertaining, but not substantive. We would we would never, we would never. Either me or you, we would never stoop so low to <laughs> hacky horse race punditry. The substantive question is: What is this Republican Party? What is you know, and what is the Republican Party speaks to what is the state of American politics? Is this Trump's party? Is this a cult of personality that is beholden to Trump and therefore no one but Trump is getting this nomination, number one? Uh, two, is it a Trumpist party, which is not beholden to an individual person, but Trump has changed the DNA of this party and so it believes in different things. It's not a, it's, it's not a strong military, low-tax, limited government, family values party anymore. It's a right-wing populist uh, America first, uh, uh, sympathetic to, to, to Putin, uh, and willing to use government power to achieve political slash culture war ends. Yeah. Uh, then the third option is it's, it's not definitively any of these things because it's a divided party and it's unclear which of these factions has the upper hand. Perhaps there's a lot of, uh, in, uh, uh, fluidity in the electorate, and it can be shaped by a particularly compelling candidate. Uh, I think the DeSantis uh, analysis is it's a Trumpist party, yes, 100%. and so he can win by being Trump-like, but better than Trump. And again, to say I think the last six weeks is is a huge demerit on that being accurate. Uh, I think it's either Trump's party or it's a divided party. 
Uh, I, well, 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 actually, let me, let me stop there, uh, because I think the sense could be right. But again, whether it's Trumpist or just flat divided, if it's not going to be Trump, you have to go at Trump. You got to take that risk and punch him in the rhetorical face. Uh, and I don't know if anyone's prepared to do that right now. No one's showing me that level of moxie. Uh, but if you're to go back to your point, maybe it makes some sense for Pence to wait a little bit longer for the DeSantis flame out to be more broadly accepted. And so other people start getting a fresh look. But I think, I mean, and, and Pence has done more than most to really subtly distinguish himself from Donald Trump. But he, even him, he, it's still very resident, reticent to really go scorched earth on Trump. And, and obviously it's hard for Pence because he literally was his VP for four years. But someone's got to say, this guy's a loser. Yeah. The, it, it's an emperor has no clothes strategy. He's a loser. He has wrecked the party. He dragged us down 2018, in 2020, in 2022. He's going to do it again. So, yeah, I might agree with him on this or that. I might have been his vice president for, for four years. Yeah. But he is a proven loser. And I don't want the Republican Party to be a losing party. I think someone's got to take it that far. And I suspect that the person who is going to do it will be DeSantis. He has not done it yet. Uh, but I also wonder, and, and this is something that I've, I've said from the very beginning, is a, a risky strategy for him to play out the entirety of the Florida legislature, use that as a, a headline generating moment, along with, as you said, his book release. And then as the, the legislature comes to a close, that's when you say, all right, but my job here is done in Florida. Now I am going to turn my eyes to DC. Uh, is there any other point from your column that uh, we have not touched on that you would like to get into as we, as we talk about the should DeSantis run argument? Well, that, well, that, that part of it, because what I'm, what I argue in the piece is all evidence is DeSantis is not going to take it that far. Okay. He, he doesn't believe that there's enough anti-Trump sentiment to war going that hard on Trump. So He's, there's a little bit of distinguishing that he's doing. But look, I mean, look, some people are saying, I mean, well, he hasn't even running yet. So why are you criticizing him about his strategy? He's not even a candidate. Come on. He has a book. He's on a national book tour. Uh, he's, he has a stump speech as part of that book tour. And in interviews, he is willing to answer the question, what makes you different from Donald Trump? I mean, once you're engaging, he, he's responding to Trump's barbs. And he's explaining why he's different than him. You're campaigning. You are in the campaign, whether you formally announced or not. So we know what his initial approach is, and it is a nuanced, you know, Trump's a good guy and did this or that, but I'm a better leader and I have a better team and I keep my eye on the ball and I get points on the board. That's the DeSantis pitch. Uh, and that is, I, I think, informed by a notion that if you go too hard on Trump, there's too many Trump fans out there. You can't put together a majority coalition of the Republican Party that way, which may not be wrong. I mean, again, it may be that Trump is un unbeatable. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you want to maintain your viability for 2028. But my argument to DeSantis is, look, if you're going to run against Trump, he is going to humiliate you or at least try to. So don't think you can run like a nicey campaign against Trump. That's not too mean. And think you're going to escape with your credibility intact for 2028. That sure that worked for Mitt Romney, that worked for John McCain, that worked for Bob Dole. But you're not in the pre-Trump party. You're in the post-Trump party. And no one survives contact with Trump. So either you take out the king or you're going to get destroyed. And if you think it's not worth that risk, then don't run. Yeah. And save yourself for 2028, maybe even with Trump's blessing. Here would be my biggest argument against the idea of him not running. And I will ask you this. Do you believe that Donald Trump in a general election can win against Joe Biden in 2024? It's it's not it's it's non-zero. I mean, non-zero. But, but I think, not, I think he's a weak likely. candidate. Again, I think yes. he's been proven a liability the last three election cycles. But you know what? If, if it's a bad economy. You never know. You never right. know. But let's say for argument that he does not win. He gets the nomination. He loses to Joe Biden again. 
I believe he's going to run in 2028. So if he's still walking, sure. I think he is going to run for president every time he possibly can until he's dead. Uh, either he becomes president again or he dies. That, that, that is, th those are the only two things that I can see Donald Trump doing from now until uh, uh, he, he is, he is gone. And if that's the case, you and your Ron DeSantis, you either run now while you're as hot as you can be, or you run weaker against a even weirder Donald Trump who will have yet another conspiracy about X, Y, or Z, or even more indictments or, or, or whatever, whatever the, the uh, entanglements that make Donald Trump on one hand, a fascinating candidate in 2016, somebody who did not obey by the rules, blah, 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 blah. His eccentricities, I believe ultimately panned out to be a benefit to him. Or now when the indictment certainly brings an element of, of dire, the Bolsheviks are arresting the opposition uh, uh, level of uh, immediacy to his candidacy, but either, and I, I am in total lockstep agreement with you on how to beat him. The only way to beat Donald Trump is to do to Donald Trump what Donald Trump did to the rest of the field on the Republican stage in can 2016. You, can you imagine what would happen if the roles were reversed and Ron DeSantis was indicted on something that seemed kind of, you know, penny ante? Yeah. Seem, you could argue that it's political in some way. Do you think Donald Trump would say... Oh, poor Ron DeSantis. How unfair he's been prosecuted by this evil Democrat. I I, I stand with Ron DeSantis, with DeSantis against this, this politicized indictment. Of course he would not do that. He would destroy you. It, whether it was factually based or not, he would use it to make an argument that you were a dead man walking. Uh, and again, you, I don't think you you have to say you, you think he's a felon. I mean, you could argue, I don't know if he's, Guilty or not guilty, I don't know if this amounts to a crime or not. Uh, what I know is that Donald Trump does something every single day to embarrass this party. Uh, this used to be the party of family values. Now it's uh, now it's seen as the party of a guy who has an affair with with, with a porn star and has to and has to fiddle with the business records to cover it up. Uh, and who knows where the other diamonds will be coming down the pike? This is not what has worked to put this party in a governing position for the last three election cycles. I mean, that's how, that's where you got to go with that stuff. Yeah. I, uh, I think, I think the biggest argument is he's a loser. He was a loser. He had a winning hand in 2020. Uh, uh, you, you can, you can say, Hey, look, uh, uh, along with a lot of other strong Republican governors, uh, uh, the, the red state philosophy that, that Trump, uh, was uh, nominally the, 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 the head of had, uh, was proven right on, on COVIDs or lockdowns or blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he had a winning hand. Guess what? He didn't use it. You want to know what he did? He complained about how the election was going to get stolen from him. And then, you know, depending on dial up your, your your level of spiciness, depending on the crowd that you're going to be talking to, mm -hmm. either it was or or it wasn't. But guess what? He didn't do anything. He complained. That's what he, he did. He depressed the Republican vote. Yeah. I mean, I, I would take it there. You know, he was railing about early voting instead of getting Republicans to the polls. Yeah, uh, because he he is incapable of putting the interest of the party, the interest of America, the interest of you ahead of himself. Yeah, I guess in general, you are, are articulating the philosophy that I, I I always go to and I only deviate from at my peril, which is politicians don't have a second gear. Politicians have a gear. They might have wrinkles and they might respond well to chaos and they might adjust things here and again. I think that there's a lot to be seen about how a campaign reacts to a rough patch. And I would agree with you that watching the uh, uh, especially the national polls widen between Trump and DeSantis after the book launch is worrisome. I think that that I mean, is something this is the real clear politics average. Yeah. At the point of the book launch, Trump was ahead of DeSantis by 16 points. And then when I wrote the column, it was 27 points. Yes. And like, you can say, well, that's bad. the indictment. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it definitely definitely went up because of the indictment. But if DeSantis was putting forth such a compelling argument for himself, the indictment wouldn't be such a bonus for Donald Trump. You would say, well, I really love this DeSantis guy. And who cares if Trump's indicted or not? Who cares what Alvin Bragg did? I'm loving around DeSantis. That's yeah. not what happened at that point in time.
So with that being said, I think I will I will have a final rendering on Ron DeSantis's campaign very quickly after it's launched, which I do suspect will happen. Uh, 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 I don't uh, as as much as I'm sure everybody in Tallahassee uh, 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 took your sage words and uh, and filed them away. I, I do believe that they are that they are, you know, uh, uh, they are they're locked and loaded for for this. And I feel like I'm going to know within the first 48 hours, whether or not I believe in it, because I believe in the first 48 hours, it's going to have to be absolutely knives out against Trump. And if it's not, then I, I agree with you. I don't think that there's a a sideways way to 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 deal with this. I, I think that you have to tar and feather Donald Trump as a stone cold loser who had his shot and fumbled the bag uh, or else he's toast. Right? There's no reason to not run it back. I can't, kids can adjust. I mean, it, you know, if you want to call my take unfair, you'd say, well, it, this was the first six weeks. You know, people can change, people can learn and grow. And that, that's absolutely true. Oh, Barack Obama in February of 2007 stumbled out of the gate in, in, in certain respects and got better as the campaign went along. Uh, so DeSantis might learn a lesson and make an adjustment and go at Trump harder after this. But based on the reporting that I've seen about what his inner circle is thinking, uh, they're thinking, well, we have to we're going to have a high minded campaign against Trump and really focus on how they were different handling the pandemic and how Trump didn't fire Fauci, uh, which DeSantis has already said. He already made that case to Pierce Morgan that Trump yeah. should have fired Fauci and he didn't like that. Trump did enough. I mean, I don't know. You saw that um, that super PAC ad that the DeSantis people ran. Um Yes. Against Trump. I, I, in fact, uh, we, we what, will have. We, 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 yeah, we, we will have played it before uh, uh, before this interview. So go ahead. Okay. Well, what is your what thoughts? Hap- what happened to Donald Trump? He he wasn't committed to, uh, to defend the NRA after the Parkland massacre. This uh, he is not telling the truth about the Senate and Social Security. In what world does a Republican voter care that Donald Trump? is not always factually accurate. And that yeah. Donald Trump is sometimes mean to Republicans. Sometimes mean to Republicans coming from the left. This is a guy that didn't run away from single-payer health care in the middle of the Republican debates in 2016 yeah. and criticized Bush over the Iraq war. He does not care. This is not someone who's operating on Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment, thou shalt not, thou shalt not speak ill of another Republican. He shows strength yeah. by ignoring all of that. Yeah. And I think the average Republican voter likes strength, is attracted to strength. And so if you don't meet Trump with an equivalent or greater level of strength that he's throwing at you, then guess what? You look weak. And so that ad was a defensive, weak ad because they're not getting at the heart of what is flawed about Donald Trump because they're afraid. I mean, they they exude fear. Fear of Donald Trump in everything that they do until if, if DeSantis makes that change and goes at Trump without fear, I, I retract the column. Have yeah. at it, buddy. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's that, that that's a, that's a very good point because I did not like the ad either. I, I thought uh, number one, you lead with that. The, the first thing you should say is what happened to Donald Trump. That should be that should be your 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 refrain of he used to be good and now he is bad. And here's why he is bad. But I agree with you that backing that up uh, uh, with with, oh, he is mischaracterizing Social Security is is a little a little uh, uh, weak. You know, there's there's no yeah, you can play Donald Trump saying the opposite thing of the thing that he's saying right now a million times. And it's not going to dent the love that people have for Donald Trump as the hard charging guy who says it, how it is character like that. That is not somebody for whom is always consistent. I mean, that that's the appeal of Trump, that he that he is who he is. Yeah, he doesn't apologize for it. And. I mean, again, this this comes down to what do you think the Republican Party electorate wants? You know, I don't have a great sense that they want competent government. That's not the driving factor of what's pushing them. Uh, they like owning the libs. They like fighting these fights. They like mixing it up. Yeah. Uh, and Trump gives that to them, win or lose. Uh, so uh, I'm not saying it's an easy puzzle to solve. And, and, and maybe it is unsolvable. Yes. But if you're going to try, 
If you're going to say, I'm going to run and on the premise that there is a path to a non-Trump candidate, uh, I do. You have to show strength yourself. You have to uh, go after the leader with without without fear uh, and appeal to that bloodlust, that political bloodlust that I do think the average Republican voter has. You have to find a way to capture that that sentiment without actually being Donald Trump and show that you don't have to be with Donald Trump to get that satisfaction. Well, and perhaps in your back pocket, you will be a more competent uh, administrator of government. But that doesn't strike me as the most appealing characteristic that the average Republican voter is looking for. I think we last time we talked, I said that I didn't believe that the Republican primary had started until Christina Pasha at replies Donald Trump Jr. on Twitter uh, uh, with something <laughs> something uh, particularly pointed. And I thought that, we that has happened now. No, it has not happened. I thought we oh. were close this weekend when Donald Trump Jr. called for a a backtracking on the oh. Bud Light thing. Right, I thought that right. was like, oh, the guard, the guard is down. This is this is when you uh, attack the Trump machine for being too beholden to donors because that was a fairly transparent play for uh, uh, you know to to calm down uh, various different Anheuser Bush family donors to the uh, to to the Republican Party and to Trump, but. We haven't seen it yet. And I guess that's that's the only thing that I would say is that I don't uh, everything I've heard about the, the the DeSantis camp is that they are very calculating. But I don't usually like that in a description of a politician because it usually means second guessing and scared. Uh, uh, and and there's a lot of thinking and not a lot of doing. And, well, and if, if that's, if that's the case, then, numbers. Yeah, you look you look at poll numbers. And they'll say 70% of the Republican electorate has a favorable opinion of Donald Trump. Yes. Uh, so you can interpret that and say, well, there's no point going against Donald Trump because people like him. I got to find some other way to, to, to go at this. Uh, and, and maybe that's accurate. Again, maybe there is no opening. But if that's your calculation, that, that to me is a don't run calculation. If yeah. to run is to say, I got to treat this number that as not static, changeable, and figure out some and get some other data to show me where the weak spots are, so I can t- turn that number around. You're not you're not going to beat Trump if, if he remains seventy percent favorable. You have to make him less favorable, and that and that to me is by getting doing the emperor no close emperor has no close strategy. Now, there's a million things that are are different about this. But you mentioned Obama stumbling out of the out of, out of out of the blocks back in 2007 and then obviously running a campaign for which has been modeled, especially Democratic politics for years and years. Is there an element if you are if you are Ron DeSantis that you are saying, well, you know, are, are we are we modeling Obama Clinton 2008 as a, a a a a battle plan here. Obviously, the, the there was kind of an opposite situation with with Trump and and Clinton in terms of uh, uh you know it seems like popularity in the party. But then again, I'd be curious to look back at Hillary Clinton's polling back in in 2008 because I, I bet you she was probably pretty popular within the Democratic. No, I mean, it was probably. I mean, I, I didn't I didn't go back and check, but if memory serves, I think it was roughly similar. You know, Obama didn't start yeah. at zero. Uh, but Hillary was definitely well ahead to begin with uh, and had a veer of inevitability around her. And something had to happen to puncture that inevitability. Uh, she had particularly bad debate. She had a couple of bad debates. Uh, there was one in July that centered around uh, Iraq war stuff and, and, and Iran. Uh, and there was one, it was October 2007, where she got tied up on the issue with um, undocumented immigrants and driver's licenses. Yeah. Uh, so that made things kind of wobbly for her. And Obama had, again, there's essentially a three-way race between her and Obama and Edwards. And Obama was able to convince enough white liberals in Iowa that, that he could go all the way. He had some thrilling speeches in Iowa that got people excited. He had the right position on the Iraq war that Hillary Edwards didn't have because they voted for the authorization of senators. Uh, and that was enough to get, you know, I, I don't think he cracked 40, if I remember. I think he was in the upper 30s. Um, it, it was a fairly close we were a race in Iowa. Yeah. But but winning winning in a white state definitely triggers something amongst African-American voters that said, hey, wait a second, this Obama yeah. guy 
he's he's not a Jesse Jackson or an Al Sharpton. He's got some white appeal. Hey, maybe he can go all the way. And that, and then his support among the black community really shoots up after that point, and that allows him to not win New Hampshire, which is mostly a white state, but to win South Carolina, which has proven to be the determinative state in the Democratic primary. That was the first year, 2008, when South Carolina had the number four slot in the schedule. And ever since, it has been the determining factor in every Democratic primary. Uh, so that's a set of factors that has no resemblance at all to the Republican primary beyond that Trump is seen by by most people as the front runner, perhaps an inevitable figure. And it, to make that not be the case, something has to happen to puncture the inevitability. Uh, but you don't have the same racial composition. Uh, you don't sure. have the same Iraq war position that was you know, broadly shared amongst Democratic primary voters, but not shared by the initial front runner. There's nothing like that for DeSantis to work with. What you have to work with is that Trump has been an albatross of the Republican Party for the last several years, and people have been afraid to call that out in Republican circles, and you could be the brave guy who calls it out. Yeah, I mean, I guess you you would, you you would could talk yourself into the idea that COVID or, or the lockdowns or whatever, you know, is, is the, the, the policy thing that would translate to the Republican base, because that has been, you know, the, the question that, of that clean though. I mean, because, I mean, sure. He didn't fire Fauci. We did a lot of whole lot of other things. They're very prominent to appeal to those who thought the pandemic restrictions were too much. So he, Trump's not associated with being, you know, a, a pandemic uh, hawk, if you will. Uh, yeah. So so you're, you're not working. The fodder really isn't there, in my opinion, to make that a real clean distinguishing factor. Yeah. Unless you can just say he shut down the country or something like that. But but also, I, I would I would agree with you that that does not catch fire unless you already have momentum. If you're Ron DeSantis and people are looking for a reason, they're looking for permission to renounce Trump. And right now, outside of Florida, that has not seemed, uh, you know, to to be something that is nationwide, although. I'm sure, you know, if anybody is a DeSantis fan that is listening, they would say that while the national polls are something that are uh, are getting wider, you have seen encouraging state polls for DeSantis. But I, I, I we'll mean, there's, a, there's a paucity of Iowa, New Hampshire polls. You can't hang your hat on that. I mean, I think, I think something occurred that was closer in the period where Trump was sagging. I've not seen any post indictment Iowa, New Hampshire polls. So, um, yeah. Show me the evidence that DeSantis mania is really raging <laughs> in, in those states that is d- distinctive from what's happening nationally. I, I, I'm just not seeing that. And to get back to the pandemic thing, it's not analogous to the Iraq war in 2008 because the Iraq war is a real live issue. The war was still going on. Uh, and there was, a, it was an open question, what's the Democratic president going to do about it? Yeah. The pandemic's behind us. You know, so you're just you're literally just, you know, litigating the past with that. Uh, so you need to have I don't think there really is an issue that distinguishes Trump from others, unless unless you're going to make a play to be the pro-Ukraine Republican. I mean, that's the, that is an issue that really divides the party down the middle. And Trump has clearly planted his flag on the anti-Ukraine side. Uh, and perhaps, yeah, but that doesn't, that doesn't play with the base. All right. Well, one, one, one last thing that, uh, let, let me, let me ask you, we have yet to see a Liz Cheney level, full anti never Trump, like, or a, a never Trump candidate enter this race. Do you expect one will emerge? Either probably, Liz Cheney or someone I mean, Sununu is making noise. I think he'd yeah. probably be closest to that. There's one little flare that came up about the North Dakota governor. Um, oh, uh, yeah. That a North Dakota uh, website said that there's talk about him running and he's actually relatively moderate. Um, you're, you're talking like the very, 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 very long shot. So he would have a bit more of a shot than you know, North, North Dakota governor would. Uh, uh, and Asa Hutchinson, I guess, you know, he's been pretty. He said Trump shouldn't run because of the indictment. He's the only guy that's gone that far. But he's sure, starting, yeah. Starting but but he's but he's, a, he's he's more he's more in the evangelical lane at this point, right? But he, but evangelicals love Donald Trump, so that, that's all very yeah. scrambled right now. Um, so you need someone with who's not starting from zero, 
like a DeSantis, to a lesser extent, maybe Pence or Haley, who really lay into Trump and, and put some prestige on the line to do that for it to be potentially impactful. When you start at zero and you do that, uh, it's it's hard. It, it looks more desperate. It doesn't light up the media. It doesn't trigger. I mean, like there's definitely some never Trump constituency to work with. There is a pro-Ukraine constituency in the Republican Party. I mean, the polls I've seen, it's, it's pretty 50-50. It's obviously yeah. the Tucker Carlson audience. Um, can you capture that, elevate it, and make it the main point of distinction? You know, I'm not saying that's a simple thing because usually foreign policy isn't a driving force in primaries. But what's very difficult here is that the, the Republican Party doesn't seem that issue oriented right now. Uh, so it's hard to take an issue and make and that make it, and make your, it a your, thing. Your, your, right. Uh, unless unless the issue is that Donald Trump will lose us every election that he is on the ballot. Well, that's that's more of a political yeah. What do you want to see in your TV argument? Do you want to see Trump ranting and raving and making us lose? Or you want to see me ranting and raving and making us win? Which, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, put it on a T-shirt, sell it, uh, sell it out of a mailbox down in Miami. Uh, (laughs) Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Washington Monthly is where everybody can find your, uh, your, your writings. I was going to actually respond to you on Twitter or respond to Nate Silver responding to you on Twitter to be more accurate. And then I'm like, no, why am I giving this content away on, on Twitter? I should bring Bill can on I, the show. Can I, can I, can I, one last vent? Go. I just, I hate it when you write an article and you address all of the obvious counter arguments to your point, And then it gets into the Twitter bloodstream and no one actually acknowledges that you've addressed all these points already. I mean, you know, Nate Silver obviously is a is a sharp guy, but like I I made the argument why the Chris Christie sees the moment example doesn't apply here, and then the Nate Silver tree was always oh, got to run. He's got to seize the moment. I'm like, can you at least just have the back and forth of me <laughs> that addresses the argument I made against that? And then you can still have your your take. You can still disagree, but it's it's just not a very interesting conversation. You're just going to ignore that. But Nate Silver's tweets do drive traffic, so I can't really complain. Twitter uh, uh, colon not a very interesting conversation should be uh, <laughs> should be right on the side when you drive into town. I feel like that would fit very very well. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Take care. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to thank Mr. Bill Share for coming on this show, you can do so. Letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. You can always email the program, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at px3tweets. That is for the show. For me, I am at Justin R. Young. See me live on the internet px3live.com share this podcast with your friends family and clergy px3podcast.com you want to support me with a one-time donation it is paypal.me slash pay jury venmo is justin-young-20 and cash app is px3 cash you can send me anything you'd like in the mail p.o box 1531-84 austin texas 78715 that is again post office box 15384 Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, the only place that you can get bonus content of this show is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Jason, Andres, Matt, John Gross, C. Garcia, Matthew T., El Basso, John, Craig Potts, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Yield, Pinball Shop, DP4, Bongo, Neemeister, Catherine, Todd, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, BA, Select, Start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris Arslandi, and Blue Front and the Lenina, DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Molly's Dashing Debut, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. Brad Richard, 
Just another pilot, middle-aged Mike, who loves Frank Got Abducted. Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen A-L-D-L-D-L-D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua. If you'd like your name right at the end of the show, only one place that you should go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. On Friday's edition of the program, you've asked for them, you get them. We go cosmic yet again with Kevin Ryan. Because I got an esoteric thought. Clout. Clout. You heard it a lot about this Discord leak. Why would somebody ruin their lives for clout? Amongst 30 people on a Discord server. This Bud Light thing. I'm fascinated by it. Because obviously the passion is super, super, super loud. But is this really about the fact that a trans influencer has 10 million followers on TikTok? Why else would it be important? We talk to Kevin. We break it down. We bring it to you Friday. Until then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh! Three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.